Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I'm glad that you are joining us. Thank you so much for all our viewers around the world for tuning in. Uh, a special thank you to all our moderators. Uh, we are starting a little bit late tonight. As you can see, I'm all alone, and it's been a minute. It has been uh, a minute since it's just been uh, you and me, you, me and you guys. And uh, we're going to have some fun this hour. We're just going to kick back, lay back, talk. Uh, tonight's topic, we are going to be reviewing the last two episodes of The Walking Dead. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying our lineup of guests uh, over the last several weeks. We are back at it again tomorrow. Tomorrow, we have a very spe special guest coming uh, on Dead Talk Live. Michael Emerson played Ben on Lost and is on Evil right now. Uh, so we are very excited to have Michael join us. Scheduling note, tomorrow's episode, if you guys do want to watch it live, it is going to be starting much earlier than our normal start time. It's going to start at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, on the United States, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, that's like 10 a.m. Uh, in the morning on the West Coast, and wherever you are in the world, you can figure out the time zone from there. want to say hello to Colette, who's joining us. Duda ZX is joining us. I hope everyone is doing well uh, on all the different platforms that we are streaming to. Man, I'm out of practice. I'm out of practice doing solo shows. Can you imagine that? It's been such a long time that I'm out of practice doing this. Anyway, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, since we've had so many guests on the show, I am opening up the phone lines tonight. And our moderators are going to be posting the number. If any of you want to call in live, any questions you have on any of the guests that we've had on the show, any of our upcoming guests, Please feel free to call in uh, and ask your question, state your comment. Just no pranksters. Please, no pranksters. No, no, none of that today. It's been a long day. It's been a busy day. And I'm just glad to uh, wrap up today talking to you fine people. So, like I said, today we are going to be covering The Walking Dead. The last two episodes of The Walking Dead. Season 11, Episodes 3 and 4. Now, before we get started, here is my take on the season so far. As we all know, and we've talked about before on this show, uh, the entire production team, at least from what they said publicly, were caught off guard when they found out that this season 11 was going to be the final season of the mother show of The Walking Dead. So I feel like this current season is being rushed somewhat. Uh, and this is not the most definitely not the actors doing, the directors, the producers. This goes really high up on the chain, uh, not the writers either. They're doing an amazing job. But when you find out that you have a finite number of episodes left for a series that's been running for 11 years and you want to finish the story, uh, 
things kind of tend to get a little messy. And I think that's what's happening right now on The Walking Dead. Things are a little bit all over the place. Uh, this past Sunday's episode, there was no zombie. And I believe that's the first time in 11 years where we had an episode of The Walking Dead where we did not even see a single zombie in the episode. Now, we all know that the zombies are just a backdrop, and this is a character-driven show. That's what we love about it so much. But we always got the obligatory zombie, you know, here and there. And I was just amazed that by the end of this past Sunday's episode, there was none. None. And I try to rack my brain. If you guys can remember an episode in the last 11 years, 11 seasons of The Walking Dead, where we did not see a single zombie walker throughout the whole episode, please go ahead and share it because I cannot think of a single episode. So it's kind of messy. This whole Maggie Negan thing is getting old, quick, really old. Uh, these two, I'm going to say it, they should just have angry sex and get it over with. Really. I mean, I'm not the first one to, uh, to have mentioned that. I've heard other people say it. But, you know, just let them sleep together, get their frustrations out, and then let's move on. Let's move on with the story. Lisa says amen to that. <laughs> uh, Philip also writes, no other episode without zombies. Good, good, yeah, I, I could not think of one. So, yeah, these two, just, just do it, get it over with, put it behind you. This whole Maggie being pissed at Negan and Negan being Negan with Maggie at points, just, you know, really pushing her to, you know, either do something or don't do something. I'm totally team Negan on this one. Uh, Maggie, if you're going to do something, do it. If not, then bite your tongue and live with it. You know, you know, I totally agree with Negan on this one. And I don't know how many of you guys are more sympathetic to Maggie or to Negan. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but let's move on from this. Okay. Glenn died four seasons ago. All right. Uh, even in the show's timeline, a lot of years have passed. So, yeah, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. So, the moderators, I haven't seen them post a number to the show. Please post a number if you guys want to call in live and share your thoughts on The Walking Dead. Share your thoughts uh, about any of our prior guests that we've had on this show. Starting tomorrow, we're going right back to our guests. We are book solid through the end of September, and we're starting to confirm October guests and into November. So please feel free to call in, share your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, so we're going to get to The Walking Dead and so on. Uh, uh, you know, going back to our whole guests, we've had some really great guests. Uh, it's been so long since I've done a solo episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the pictures and the little video clip that I posted of us 
going to the New Jersey Horror Convention and Film Festival. That was a lot of fun uh, to meet all. Pretty much we met the entire Terrifier crew. Damien Leon, who's also a prior guest of ours, the creator of the Terrifier story. Uh, got to meet the actors. Got to meet David, who plays Art the Clown. Uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Great Great, great time in Atlantic City uh, with friends and the convention. And it's fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. I haven't been to Atlantic City in a long, long time. At least 15 years. So being back on that boardwalk uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. So uh, Khaleesi writes, I love the python. You know, I never thought that I would ever hold a snake. Uh, around my neck but for some reason when we got there and i saw that beautiful python i'm like i'm gonna go for it why not and uh man that thing is heavy uh for those of you guys that that saw the video you obviously saw how big it was and a lot of you know i have a bad back after holding that thing for a good five plus minutes i was in pain it is heavy, and I was sort of watching it, uh, its tail in particular, as it wrapped itself around my leg. I'm like, all this thing has to do is start squeezing, and I'm dead. I'm dead, but not this. I didn't feel threatened at all. Uh, that's the first time I ever touched a snake, and like I mentioned on camera, you know, people who have never touched a snake and you have this you know idea of what a snake feels like maybe slimy or something like that not nah, smooth as silk that's uh that's how they feel smooth as silk welcome to lindsay sparks who says loved all the videos you posted of the festival thank you now Efren was there he says gross Efren was a chicken shit would not touch the snake you know so I'm going to call him out. He was too scared. Too scared of the snake. Uh, Colette writes that they're very dry. It's just like silk. It is softer than silk. I just got to state that. If you have a chance to hold a python or at least pet a python, first make sure you don't do it out in the wild. I do not recommend that. Like if you're in the Florida Everglades for whatever reason, and you happen to come across a python that might be hungry, don't go and pet it. I'm talking about pythons that have a handler with them. Because uh, this thing, I can tell you, just holding it over my shoulders can kill you like that. So, uh, anyway, uh, Khaleesi writes, I would have uh, held it. Efren uh, writes, I come from a country where snakes eat people. We know better. Yeah, yeah. Pythons, though. I don't know if I would ever touch a venomous snake. Pythons are not venomous. The way they kill their prey is they suffocate them. They wrap, they wrap around you till you basically can't breathe anymore. So, anyway. Moving on. Let's get to our review. We're going to start with episode 3 which was uh, well over a week now of The Walking Dead. Episode 3 was a very action-packed episode, but not a whole 
lot of story behind it. And just a note on, you know, the Reapers. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's like the record player skipped back. It keeps skipping back. Uh, they kill one bad group, here comes another. Even the motivations behind them are starting to repeat. You know, the whispers with Alpha, yeah, she was a little bit off. Even before the apocalypse, the apocalypse allowed her to show her true colors. And now we have the Reapers. And we know now that the Reapers are a bunch of mercenaries, okay? Uh, run by this Pope person. Wasn't a... I mean, after the premiere of season seven and seeing what Negan did, can they really surprise us anymore with what a bad person on The Walking Dead is going to do? No, I was not surprised. In fact, I knew in this last week's episode that as soon as we were introduced to Pope, when he was talking to Shaw and Shaw was explaining to Pope how the other guy died, I knew and I'm sure a lot of you knew as well that Shaw was a dead man. Whether Pope was going to kill him right then or there, or like he did, wait till the end of the episode and and stick his face in the fire, burned his face, burned him alive. I knew that he was a dead man. Uh, no surprise there. Now, if the, you know, if I was in the writers' room and I was writing this episode, uh, you know, and let's say we kept it the same, Pope shoved Shaw's face into the campfire, burned him alive. Very painful way to go. What I would have done differently is I would have not made Daryl's reaction be one of shock. Now, just think of all the stuff that Daryl Dixon has seen since the zombie apocalypse has broke out. Really? So, having one human being take another human being and put their face into a campfire, I would have had I would have had Daryl just be stoic. You know, true to fashion, Daryl Dixon did not face him. But he had this shock look. And it was sort of out of character, uh, considering Daryl Dixon's character arc through 11 seasons. And just think of all the horrible stuff that he has seen. Terminus... Negan, his friends getting killed in front of him with baseball bats. To have one person put another person's face into a campfire, I would have had him be just completely stoic. I mean, no reaction whatsoever. None. Uh, that's what I would have done differently. Uh, but it's just, it keeps repeating. They kill one bad group, here comes another bad group. Their intentions might be slightly different, but... You know, let's do something different, guys. This is the last season. This is the last season. Let's let's do something different, especially with all these spinoffs coming. The, the success or failure of these spinoffs are going to rely on how they wrap up the main series. If the main series goes out with a whimper, then the Carol, Daryl spinoff, Tales of the Walking Dead, which I'm very much looking forward to, uh, they don't really stand much of a chance. 
because people who have lost interest of The Walking Dead before season 11 ends are not going to go and watch the spinoffs. So, anyway. Uh, Lisa writes, crime. He saw Negan burn a guy's face with that iron and he didn't flinch. That I saw. And she, and she corrects, cripe, not crime. Yeah, yeah. His reaction of him being shocked, I'm like, really? After all that you have seen, seen someone's, you know, head being thrown into a fire, that shocks you? Uh, you know, I'm glad they brought Leah back. I'm glad we're going to get some kind of closure to that story. Even though there's still a lot of explaining that she has to do from what we know of the Reapers, unless, and she doesn't clarify this in Sunday's episode, if, she, you know, it's sort of ambiguous. Did she know them when they approached her in the woods, supposedly, and they took her in? Because from what we know about the Reapers, they don't give mercy to anybody. They kill you. I mean, flat out. They don't ask any kind of questions. They just flat out kill you. So, did they know her? Did they know that she was uh, a mercenary? Uh, you know, a paid, uh, paid soldier? Maybe we'll find out as the season progresses. But I am glad they brought back Leah and to see what exactly unfolds between her characters and Daryl. Uh, will be interesting to watch throughout this season. And like I said, uh, we are halfway done through the A part of 11. Uh, the B part of season 11 is going to be sometime in early 2022. And then the last part, uh, part C, is going to be at the end of 2022. So let's see what happens. And to make another statement, two days ago, uh, I read an article on an interview that Scott Gimple did scott gimple is the main boss that oversees the walking dead franchise i mean and you got to be careful it gets kind of muddy uh when you think of the main boss because amc is the main boss of the walking dead but scott gimple he was the showrunner for the walking dead for many years up until the end of season eight Season 9, Angela Kang took over and is the current showrunner and has been doing a brilliant job. So at the end of Season 8, Scott Gimple got promoted to oversee the whole franchise. Uh, that includes The Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead World Beyond, and the movies. So the movies. Uh, you've heard me say this before. I think the movies are in real jeopardy. Now, the article that I read with Scott Gimple, he stated in, in, in regard to the movies that they're still ironing out the script. No, 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 no. And he even said, he even went a little beyond and he referenced their, uh, they are doing some R&D research and development in regards to the script. I'm sorry, Scott. I've got all the respect in the world for you, and I really feel bad for the man because it's not him that's making these decisions. It's people way above him, 
Uh, but he's the one who's going to have to be the voice for this thing. And uh, the whole we are still ironing out the script. I got to call you out on that, Scott. I really do. I'm sorry, but I got to call you out. That, that excuse is past expiration. It really is. It, it is really past expiration. And they're not giving us uh, any more than we're still working on the script. How many years has it been now? Uh, countless movies have been shot and released, and they're still working on the script. I mean, if we go back to early 2020, absolutely. COVID uh, was breaking out here in the United States. Everything had shut down. But even now, yeah, COVID is still around, but life is moving forward. We're adjusting to life with COVID. Conventions are happening again in person. So the whole excuse that we're still working on the script, or like he said, doing R&D on the script, no, it doesn't fly. And I don't blame Scott Gimple. I, like I said, I have all the respect in the world for Scott Gimple. I loved him when he was the showrunner of The Walking Dead. I think he's doing a great job overseeing the franchise. And these are decisions being made way above him. But he is the spokesperson. He's the one that has to do the interviews and explain what's going on when he's asked about these movies. And I go back three years now to, you know when he was on Talking Dead right after Rick Grimes' last episode. And the plan back then was beautiful. And the way he explained it was awesome. They were going to make three... Sorry. They were going to make three made-for-TV movies uh, involving Rick Grimes. And that was perfect. That was the That was an awesome plan. But after that, they brought in Universal Studios to help with the movies. And just one thing after another, it got muddier and muddier and muddier. Um, AMC and Universal... uh, AMC, the theater chain, they uh, sued, I forgot who, you know, uh, I forgot who they sued for releasing movies and bypassing theaters to straight on de- video on demand. So whether it's disagreement between Universal, AMC, uh, a contract dispute, rights dispute, we won't know. They won't tell us. But I really feel bad for Scott Gimple because he has to go on record whenever he uh, he is asked publicly and he has nothing more to add than we're still working on the script. But yet, if it becomes official and the movies do not make it, they never get made, it's his credibility. It's his reputation. When he is going to be the one that comes out and says... Because of whatever BS reason they tell him to say, the movies are not going to get made. So, I just want to clarify, this is not Scott Gimple's or anybody who works on the production of The Walking Dead's fault. This goes up, up, 
you know, AMC, Universal, Up, Studios, Suits, uh, Disagreements. Now, I don't have any proof. I don't have any inside knowledge of this. Uh, so I got to, you know, put a disclaimer out there. This is what I think is going on because, uh, you know, after a while, that same old excuse of we're still working out the plot, the script, R&D, yeah, that that is long past. So that's my take. So I'm letting you guys know, do not be surprised if tomorrow, next week, three months from now, six months from now, they come out with an announcement that the Walking Dead movies, the trilogy, the Rick Grimes movies, for whatever reason they decide to put out there, are not going to be made. So don't be surprised. I've, in fact, I am now leaning more, way more towards waiting for that announcement than the announcement that they've started shooting. I'm actually waiting to, I would not be surprised in the slightest bit if I wake up tomorrow and, you know, I check my phone and right there is a is an article saying that, you know, the Rick Grimes movies have been completely axed. Would not surprise me one bit. In fact, I wake up expecting it. So we just got to wait and see how it plays out. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm prepared for the worst. And it really sucks because, uh, you know, they really muddied the water. If they would have stuck to the original plan, just made three made-for-television movies, kept it in-house, AMC only, uh, with Sky Skybound and all them, it would have been fine. And the first movie, we would already had it, no doubt about that. It would have been out already. And we'd be talking about the second movie right now. But, yeah. Anyway, let's go on and uh, let's see what we have in and let's review the last two episodes, okay? And we're going to start with uh, Season 11, Episode 3, called Hunted. If you're a big action fan, uh, there was a lot of action in this episode in regards to the Reapers. And, you know, talk about Maggie. She, uh, I mean, she had skills. You know, she's come a long way from that farm girl that we met in Season 2. But man, she has some skills uh, since we last saw her in season nine. So I don't know if that's Elijah, the mass ninja guy's doing and training her. But she has become a master at throwing knives and a whole bunch of other stuff. So as promised, hunger rears its ugly head on The Walking Dead season 11 as Carol and Maggie lead very different uh, desperation missions. Now, this is episode three, not this past Sunday's, the one before. Hunted opens in a flurry of action. Blades, arrows come flying in and out of darkness. Most of Maggie's companions stumble and fall, as do their hunters. Some get back up, scramble away towards safety, or in pursuit of someone. Most don't. At least not until they're presumably turned into walkers and join the omnipresent background noise of the undead. As far as cold openings go, this one runs hot. And while it burns itself out quickly, 
It's a perfect setup for the following episode, which features the Walking Dead in hunting mode for both A plot and the B plot. Now, I'm assuming they're talking about Season 11 Part A and Season 11 Part B. At the center of both plots is hunger. Everyone in Alexandria is hungry, slowly starving to death as rations peter out and the fields fail to provide enough to sustain the population. Maggie's mission to rescue a cache of supplies is a desperate one. If she fails, people die. Carol's mission to rescue Alexandria's horses is another desperate one. If she fails, people die, but slower. Both have been established as crucial to survival, and both come with complications. For Maggie, it's injured baggage, an old enemy, and people trying to kill her. For Carol, it's something even more out of her control in the form of giant wild animals that don't want to get caught and dragged back to civilization. And I gotta ask you guys, what do you think of Carol's character so far in season 11? To be completely honest, she's starting to annoy me. (laughs) I never thought I'd say that, but the way they're writing her character, uh... I see no point to it. I really don't. I don't know what's going on in her head. Uh, Let me know what you guys think. With uh, every encounter with the Reapers or every fleeing horse, both missions seem increasingly hopeless. You can't catch a horse that doesn't want to be caught, especially when you've got no real experience in doing that kind of thing. And you can't liberate a bunch of food supplies and get them back to your people if you're all dead on the side of the road. But Maggie and Carol both persist, pressing on with their respective missions even when other, cooler heads suggest turning back, taking a break, or giving up entirely. There's a certain degree of single-mindedness at play for both characters. Maggie sees one way out, and there's no way that she can deviate from the path, even when deviating from the path is the best thing to do. She's a leader, so she's stubborn and used to getting her way no matter what. And while she's good person, according to Alden, good people don't always make good leaders, and there has to be some ability to be flexible to accomplish a goal when complications arise. And that is absolutely true. Maggie has always been a stubborn person. Maggie, as things continue to go wrong, fails to find that flexibility and it costs her pretty much everyone in her entourage save the last person she wants to have at her back despite their growing agreement with one another. Maggie's desperation makes complete sense, and it's established in pretty much every visual shot of the character. From her flailing around in the action sequence in the cold opening, to her waking up from the attack and trying desperately to get away from the people chasing her by breaking into an abandoned mall. Frederick E.O. Toye does a wonderful job of isolating Maggie from the rest of her group, Uh, 
where, where was I? Of uh, isolating her from the rest of her group, putting her in danger, and making it so she's only got her wits and cleverness to survive. It's impressive at this point to put a character this competent into peril and make it feel legitimate. But Lauren Cohen's paranoia and fright does a wonderful job of selling this, and Toye and director of photography Dwayne Manweller make a great use of Cohen's expressiveness. And hats off to Lauren Cohen. I mean, she's doing great with the material she's given. The scene in which Maggie drops her flashlight while disposing of an attacker is really well done, but the capper for it, for it is when she feels like she's finally safe, only for there to be a presence in a ghost mask behind her. That flick of a lighter to illuminate that scene was beautifully done, and it's edited crisply enough that the attack doesn't lose impact. It's just enough to provide a very effective jump scare, leading into a couple of other decent scares further down the line. It's a refreshing bit of horror after three episodes of, mo of mostly action-adventure with horror elements and a fun callback to the Whisperer's mode of attack. Maggie doesn't know any way uh, other than forward. She has her mission, and she's sticking to it, even when Alden, Negan, and others try to talk a little bit of sense to her. Lauren Cohen does a solid job of portraying that brittle iron will from Vivian Tessa's script. Maggie is strong and a leader, but she's getting closer and closer to her breaking point as, she's tr as she tries to do anything to get herself back home with food enough to keep everyone, Herschel included, alive. She might die in the process of trying to do it, but that's all that she has left. Now, Carol uh, and her mission, while she has other things she could be doing, she's fixated on the horses and recovering them because it's easier than facing the very real possibility that you did everything you could and still everybody died. Melissa McBride, through the course of the past several seasons, has carried the show and now, when she's given the opportunity to put together a good performance, she still shines. And she has good chemistry with Angel Theories Kelly. And just a little bit, going back to Carol, uh, that episode, episode three, what I really loved the most about that episode is that we got to hear more from Magna, Nadia Hilker. I mean, a great actress, and I'm glad they're actually utilizing her. Instead of just being a backdrop to a lot of scenes. I love the fact that we got to hear her talk. That we got to hear her express herself. The way she stood up to Carol. Telling her to stop uh, giving Kelly false hope. That's what I enjoyed the most out of, out of episode three. Now all three women have their hope. The mission they're clinging to. And there's not really much alternative for any of them in the greater world. Maggie has to get to the supplies or everyone will die from lack of food. Carol has to get the horses back or everyone will die from overwork or lack of horse meat, like they wrote there. 
Kelly has to hold out hope that her sister will come back. And we're four episodes in, and, you know, from what we saw last of her in episode 16 last season, we don't know what, what Connie's up to. But she'll give up and probably die too. Food is important, but hope is equally as important in this hard scrabble world. So I don't know when they're going to get to Connie uh, and Virgil. Remember, it was Virgil that found her on the horse as Connie looked very disoriented and running away from something in episode 16 of season 10. But I don't know when they're going to introduce her. Now, next week, uh, next week's episode from the from the trailer, we're going to shift gears from Alexandria and Maggie and Negan over to what's going on with Eugene, Yumiko, Ezekiel, and the Commonwealth and see what's going on over there. Uh, from the looks of the trailer... It looks like they actually get brought into the Commonwealth and they get to see what life is like. Uh, one scene that I love from the trailer is them walking into a bakery and seeing actual baked goods out on display. So I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, Lisa writes the first walker soldier in the tank with Rick in episode one of the first season was kind of sleeping. Oh, you guys talking about the sleeping zombies. You know, hey. It's been sort of an on-off thing. Episode 1, you're right, the zombie in the tank was dormant, asleep. And then fast forward to Season 3, when Herschel, uh, they're taken to prison, and he crosses a walker that he thinks is dead-dead. And that walker wakes up, takes a chunk out of his leg, then we don't really see any more sleepers for a long, long time. So who knows what the story is about that? You know, my guess is after a while of roaming back and forth endlessly, they get tired. I don't know. And I don't really think we're going to get an answer to that question. And if we do, it's going to be a theory. Whether it's Kirkman or whatever, it's just going to be a theory. All right. Now let's move on to last Sunday's episode. Uh, the Walking Dead Season 11, Episode 4, called Rendition. The Walking Dead takes Daryl Dixon from the frying pan and into the fire as he reconnects with an old friend and gets himself in way over his head with some dangerous new allies. And Daryl, always being the kick-ass awesome character... He takes this opportunity to basically, you know, plant himself in with the Reapers because he realizes how dangerous they are. There is not a lot of them. Uh, there was 15, and after Pope killed Shaw, 14. Now, if Daryl, obviously, I don't think he's going to start believing in their motto or way of life, so they've got 14 very dangerous people who are following a very dangerous man. Uh, Leah, I don't know if they're going to explain how she knows these people, how she got involved, as I said previously, but we'll find out. Anyway, this article goes on to say, 
Uh, has anyone on The Walking Dead been through as much as Daryl Dixon? He's been tortured several times at this point, including the most insidious torture method ever devised by Negan. Having to listen to that damn song. He's been injured in pretty much every possible way someone can be injured. His motorcycles have long stopped running. His friends won't let him retreat into the woods like the smelly hermit he longs to be. The only love affair he's had on the show has ended in ambivalent tragedy. To be fair, he's got the coolest weapon and the coolest dog. But aside from that, he's watched pretty much every one of his friends and his last remaining family member suffer and die around him, and yet rendition finds a new way to torture him courtesy of the best training that the CIA has to offer. One of the better things about the previous episode, Hunted, was the abrupt and explosive battle sequences in which the Reapers and Maggie survivors fall into battle, seemingly for no good reason other than its two alpha groups competing over territory. But there's no real deal for there to be a reason. This is the world of The Walking Dead. It's kill or be killed. Uh, I hate when the page just jumps around like that. Where was I? Uh, it's messy, organic, comic, comic, and every time an episode focuses on a specific combatant, it only gets messier and more frantic and more impressively dangerous. The sense of danger director Frederick E. Otoye cultivates with that reminder of the chaos of battle sets the tone for the first half of the episode in which Daryl does his best impression of Solid Snake by sculling through the shadows, ducking through ruined buildings, and using the environment as a way to distract the Reapers who chased him and Dog from the battlefield. The battle continues in fits and starts, and Dog getting tossed aside like a bag of garbage, and Daryl forced to flee for his life for the second time in as many segments with one dogged female pursuer hot on his heels. Daryl doesn't know who she is until she unmasks, but I recognized Lynn Collins' eyes through the mask, and no one other than Leah would have such reason to stalk Daryl to this degree as most of the other women who have come and gone in the show haven't had much of a relationship with him. While Leah's return is not a big shock, it's still a little surprising to see something from one of the bottle episodes show back up later in the series, because those last six episodes of season 10 felt more like filler and backstory than things that would have a narrative impact going forward. As shocking as it would be to have an ex-girlfriend point a shotgun at you after stealing your dog, the episode only gets weirder and more dangerous for Daryl Dixon once he meets Leah's family. Both Reedus and Collins do a solid job in their scenes together, Daryl steadfast, unwavering in his bullheaded determination 
to stick to his obviously fictional story, Leah trying her best to get Daryl to give her something, anything, in order to keep him from falling into the hands of the Reaper leader, Pope, who does things like talk about God while sharpening knives to establish that he's bad news. Now, there's an element of cold detachment to Leah. She goes through the motions of everyday Reaper life that isn't replicated in her moments alone with Daryl. Sure, she's ordering goons to drag him around and she's watching and interrogating him while he's being waterboarded, a very brutal scene that had to be very uncomfortable to shoot for Rita's. That was, I, I find it hard to believe that that was Reedus under that mask. That had to have been a stuntman. Anyway, but there isn't malice underneath her actions. She's doing, uh, it jumped around again. She's doing what she's doing to get Daryl to try to save him from worse hands at the hands of Pope and her fellow Reapers. It just takes Daryl a little bit longer to pick up on that one might hope. Fortunately, his fellow captured traveler is a little bit slow uh, when Daryl starts ripping into him and his group in an effort to distance himself from Maggie. As you guys remember, when he's being interrogated and they ask him about that group that he was with, she he tells Leah, you know, she knows he travels alone and it was just some group that he ran into on the road. Writer Nicole Marante Matthews walks a fine line in these moments with Daryl and Leah pushing at one another without losing that core connection. Leah is clearly one of the true believers, at least enough that she's not going to abandon the group again just because Daryl stumbles across her group, but she's not so totally taken in that she's ready to let Daryl get get kicked into the fire for his transgressions either. Their history is expanded upon, but not belabored over. With just enough backstory explained via Leah and Pope to establish the method behind the group's madness, but not so much that it feels like a Bond villain explanation. That was very nicely put. Daryl learns just enough from Leah to be wary he learns enough from Pope to know that sticking around with the Reapers would be a bad idea for him long term because Pope is clearly on the wrong side of sanity. And that's before he throws a guy into a fire, holds him down for having the misfortune of getting stabbed in the back during the fog of battle. Pope might let Daryl hang around for Leah's sake, but the patience of someone like Pope only lasts so long. Once upon a time, Daryl walked away from Leah. He'll be a running away from Pope. How many of you guys actually, I mean, out of all the villains that we have seen on The Walking Dead, how many of you out there actually feel like, wow, this guy is one of the worst of the worst? No, no. You know, eight seasons later, uh, since we were introduced to the governor, he still stands out as by far, in my opinion, the best antagonist that we've had on the show. Uh, we all love Negan, 
But not because Negan was the best antagonist. He was cruel, ruthless. We love Negan because of his arc, of the transformation that he's been through from when we first met him to the Negan that we know today. That's why this whole back and forth between Negan and Maggie is just getting old really, really quick. So hopefully that's going to be worked out in the next four episodes, uh, you know, and put it aside. I hope they don't drag this into the B part of season 11. I hope they come to some kind of resolution. Like I suggested at the beginning of the show, you know what? Just let the two have some angry sex. Get it over with. Let out all their frustrations. Get it out. Get it over with. And move on. Uh, Effin writes, he's like one of those crazy TV evangelist preachers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying Pope is sane. But, you know, it's just we've seen so many horrible people and doing such horrible things throughout this show that like Daryl's reaction when Shaw got thrown into the fire, I would have had Daryl just stand there stoic, not even flinch, not even flinch at what Shaw did, at what Pope did. Now, I don't know what Pope's reaction would have been to that saying, wow, you know, this guy didn't even flinch. Would that endear him to Pope? Or would that make Pope think that Daryl's even more dangerous than he thought? Who knows? Uh, Colette writes, they should get a room. Uh, Valente Fanton writes, Negan is a survivor, a bad man, but a survivor. He is definitely a survivor. Uh, he is, a, he was a bad man. Negan is selfish. Uh, even through his redemption arc, He's not 100% selfish, but what was the quote like in episode three uh, when they were carrying Alden away and they heard the screaming uh, and he says something like, oh yeah, let's go running towards the screen. Negan is a survivor because he knows how to avoid dangerous situations. He's not out to be the hero. That's not the kind of person he is. So I absolutely agree with you, Valente. He's a survivor because he knows the situations that should be avoided. That's why he's a survivor. And just like at the end of season eight, when uh, Rick and him were battling it out just before Rick sliced his throat, uh, and Rick was telling him, you know, your guys are down, you've lost. And Negan tells Rick, I'll find a way. I always do. That's very true. He always finds a way. So there you guys have it. That's where we are right now. Four episodes in uh, to season 11 of The Walking Dead. Let's see how it turns out. You know, we're still in the very early stages. We have, um, you know, a lot more episodes. We have 20 more episodes to go before this thing is all said and done with. As far as the movie goes, I've shared my opinions We'll have to see how that turns out as well, but I'm not feeling very confident right now that these Rick Grimes movies are going, or even a single movie is going to be made. You know, there's some stuff going on in the background that we don't know about. So I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. Remember, tomorrow's episode of Dead Talk Live 
starts at 1 p.m. Eastern United States time. We have a great guest, Michael Emerson, uh, Ben from Lost. He's on the he's on Evil. He plays Leland Towson. Uh, I love Evil. For those of you that don't watch Evil, season one was on CBS. Season two is exclusively on Paramount Plus. It's a great show dealing you know with exorcisms and demonic entities, but not in the way that you might think. It's great how they've done this show. So if you haven't watched Evil, that I would definitely put that on my high recommendation list to start watching. The first season of Evil is actually available on Netflix, I believe. So if you haven't watched any episode, you can go to Netflix, watch the first season. The second season is exclusively only on Paramount+. Plus. Anyway, guys, uh, like Colette points out, it's going to be 6 p.m. in the United Kingdom tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern again here in the United States. So until tomorrow, guys, when uh, Michael Emerson is going to be our special guest, to get all the latest um, guests that are coming up, we got more confirmations today, so the website does need to be updated, but please visit our site to see everybody that's coming up. Uh, we are booked straight through to the end of September. We have some great guests coming up, so please keep tuning in and watching. The way I conduct my interviews is I want them to be informative. I want you guys to learn, you know, when we have filmmakers on, I probe and ask them, you know, as you probably have noticed, the inspiration for their stories, how they go about them. Uh, how, how does it go from an idea to something on paper and ultimately on the screen? And I hope you guys find them as informative as I know I do. So anyway, guys, till tomorrow, stay safe. And as always, stay walking. Good night.